0: Jesus has a message for you uh, about the fearlessness that you are looking for in life. Uh, You don't want to live a life where you're constantly worried and overwhelmed with uh, stress and feelings of insecurity, and Jesus has the secret to a life of confidence and That's exactly what you're looking for, and that's what Jesus would like to show you today. But before we get to that message that Jesus will deliver in the second chapter of Revelation, I want us to study some words that appear in the 17th chapter of this last book of the Bible, Revelation. These are the words of John, who is describing a vision that came to him from Jesus. John says this in Revelation 17, verse 3. "'I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast "'that was covered with blasphemous names "'and had seven heads and ten horns. "'The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet "'and was glittering with gold, precious stones, and pearls. "'She held a golden cup in her hand. "'I saw that the woman was drunk "'with the blood of God's holy people, "'the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. "'Then the angel said to me, "'This calls for a mind with wisdom.' the seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. First, is everybody clear on this? All right. Uh, let's. So you know what this is all about, right? You you know who this... No, you don't? All right. Uh, If not, how about if I told you that this uh, woman is now Uh, talked about for the next two chapters, and Jesus personally guarantees his people that this woman will be overthrown, and in fact, Jesus will overthrow this uh, woman who crushes God's people, uh, and this woman will be permanently crushed and defeated. For those who still don't know who this woman is, how about if I tell you a little bit about how some people have interpreted uh, this passage, uh, some people have thought that this woman is a symbol of a coming one-world counterfeit Christianity. Uh, others, especially in the centuries after the Protestants first broke away, uh, many Protestants believe that this woman it was the Roman Catholic Church. And some today believe this woman is a coming worldwide cult of militant secularism. What's the problem with these interpretations? The problem is that none of these interpretations could possibly have been what Revelation's first readers would have understood this woman to be. Because counterfeit, uh, one world counterfeit Christianity and. Roman Catholicism and militant secularism on a worldwide scale did not exist in their time. The first readers didn't need to guess about this woman's identity because they understood the symbols and the images. They knew who the woman was. And if we are going to properly apply God's message to us from this book of Revelation, this is where we must start. This is the first rule of Bible study, which is I cannot start by asking, what do these words in the Bible mean to me? No, I must start by asking, What did the author intend to communicate to his first readers? This is so important because if I fail to connect my biblical understanding of what God is saying to me to the biblical author's intent, I open myself up to misunderstandings and some really crazy ideas. Let me illustrate this. Let's just say you picked up an ancient manuscript that said the Chicago Tribune, April 5th, 1999, and it says this in the article, the bull which once ruled the earth has had a mighty fall. The great right horn, whose number was 20 and three, has departed. Also departed is the left horn, which was pierced in many places and dressed like a woman. And now the hornets and the timber wolves and all the other beasts of the field have gathered to devour the flesh of the bull. This is not original with me, but if you were to read these words in the ancient Tri- Chicago Tribune, what sport would you be reading about? Which basketball team would you be reading about? The Chicago Bulls. The Chicago Bulls and who was the great right horn Michael Jordan. And who was the lesser left horn? Dennis Rodman. Oh, you are so good at this historical interpretation. Those of you who had the historical context, you immediately recognized the author's intent and how the readers, original readers, would have understood the clues. But just imagine what crazy ideas you would have come up with if you would have bypassed the historical context and you would just think that this was some mysterious message to us here at Black Rock. What if you forced this information into our situation today and you knew that one of our staff members here at Black Rock came to us from Chicago in the late 1990s? Just imagine the crazy ideas that you would come up with. You see, <laughs> the results can be pretty scary when you divorce the original author's intent of. Which brings us back to Revelation chapter 17 and the truth that the original readers knew who this woman was because they understood the clues. The clues that the woman represented a city and that she represented a city that ruled the first century world, that she represented a city that persecuted Christ followers. She represents a city on seven hills. What was that city? It was the city of Rome. And the giveaway is that the city sits on seven hills. The city on seven hills was a nickname for Rome that everybody knew in the first century. Now, if I say the Windy City, you know I'm talking about Chicago. If I say Beantown, you know I'm talking about Boston. And if I say the city that never sleeps, you know I'm talking about a junior high retreat. And uh, no, I'm talking about New York City. In the same way, everyone in the first century knew that the city on seven hills was Rome. And now you're asking a very important question. You're asking, why? Why didn't Jesus just skip the imagery and just say Rome? Why didn't Jesus just say in his vision, my children, I know that Rome is slaughtering you, but I promise you that Rome's brutality is temporary because I will soon overthrow it and do it through your love for me and your love for them. Why doesn't Jesus just say that? Well, there are several reasons that we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks, but the first reason is you have to remember where John is. John is in a Roman prison and Rome is no fan of free speech at this time. Jesus gave John a vision full of coded language because an uncoded message about Rome would have never left John's prison cell or if it did it would have been considered so subversive that it would be a death sentence to anyone who carried the letter, anyone who received it or read it. And Jesus didn't want to endanger his people, so he sent his message in a code of symbolic language. And I bring up this Revelation chapter 17 code uh, in order to Teach us something that is so important and that we're going to come back to again and again to properly understand this last book of the Bible. But I also want to bring up this because we need to have this background. We need to have the background of the bloody brutality of the Roman Empire against the followers of Jesus. I must have this blood-soaked background to this book if I hope to understand what Jesus is writing in his letters to his followers, including the followers in the town called Smyrna. Where Jesus says this in Revelation chapter two, beginning at verse eight: To the angel of the church in Smyrna, write: These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty; yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews, but they are not. But They are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. So in the middle of this letter, Jesus summarizes His message in four words, do not be afraid. And Jesus says that with him, I can be fearless. I can be fearless in the midst of my afflicting circumstances and my financial shortfalls. I can be fearless when I'm slandered or when I suffer pain or loss. I can be fearless even when I face death itself. And Jesus says that the way I find fearlessness is by looking past my circumstances to see the unseen. And the Christ followers of Smyrna took his encouragement, and that is what they did. They fearlessly stood up and spoke up for Jesus, and their love did conquer the Roman Empire, just like Jesus said in Revelation 17 but they also suffered mightily in the process. And their witness and their suffering actually continues to this day. Ancient Smyrna is today a Turkish town called Izmir. Najati was murdered uh, by Islamist radicals in a nation that is not radicalized. Uh, The nation of Turkey does not hate Christians, and uh, these atrocities were... Uh, horrific to the people of Turkey. Likewise, we here at BlackRock, we love all Muslim people, just like Najati did. But the burning question is, am I learning fearlessness in my life, just like Najati did, so that Najati could courageously be Jesus in love to his neighbors? I hope you caught that part of the story that uh, Najati was willing to be Jesus to his neighbors, even though he was completely outnumbered, even though he knew he would be misunderstood, even though he knew it could be dangerous. Najati fearlessly chose to be Jesus to his neighbors. And Najati found this fearlessness by focusing on the unseen realities of Jesus that Jesus reveals in this letter to Najati's town of Smyrna where Jesus teaches that finding fearlessness is the result of focusing on the unseen realities of Jesus. And Jesus lists these unseen realities in his letter to Smyrna, where we see that the first unseen reality is the fear-conquering resurrection of Jesus. Jesus says, "'I am the first and the last. I was dead, and I came to life again.'" And this is Jesus' shorthand for the reality that his resurrection conquers all human fear by conquering the worst human fear. It was Sigmund Freud who was famous for writing that all human fear stems from a single human fear, which is the human fear of our death. Jesus would agree. Jesus would say that the one thing that is the root of all my insecurities and anxieties and phobias, the one thing that holds me back from true freedom in life is the fear of my demise and death. But Jesus invites me to focus on the unseen reality of his resurrection, but not just the concept not just the bullet point in a doctrinal statement. Jesus invites me to see him fully alive and proof that his promise of eternal life is true and that I have nothing to fear. Next, this letter in Smyrna says that I'll find fearlessness in the unseen reality of the fear-conquering presence of Jesus. Jesus says to the believers, I know your poverty but you are rich. And this is Jesus saying to his people, I know all about you because I am with you. And because you have me and my empowering presence, you are rich without Jesus. The average person tries to find security in material stuff, in more money, but it doesn't work. More money does not reduce stress or decrease uh, insecurity or fear. In fact, there are signs that it does just the opposite. Uh, more money lures people into more expensive addictions and makes people less satisfied with simple pleasures and leads people into more and more complicated lives and schedules. You know, we live in the, the wealthiest county, in the wealthiest state, in the wealthiest nation. In the world. If more money really did decrease stress and increase peace, don't you think that we would see this tranquility uh, in the scowling faces of drivers who cut us off on the Mare Parkway? Uh, but Jesus says to me, uh, and, and you just like he said to these impoverished believers in Smyrna, don't look at what you can see, look at the unseen. Don't look Look at at your purse. Look Look at my peace. Don't look look at at your premises. Look at at my promises. promises. Don't look look at at what what you you don't don't have. Look at at what what you have because of my presence in your life. You are rich because of the resources of my Holy Spirit, and you have nothing to fear. Next, this letter to Smyrna says that I'll find fearlessness in the unseen reality of Jesus' fear-conquering control of my circumstances. Jesus tells the Smyrna believers, some of you will be thrown into prison for 10 days. And Jesus doesn't say this to induce fear. He says this to conquer fear. Jesus is saying that he is in total control. Uh, Jesus extends his control to the knowledge that some of them will be in prison and for how long. And Jesus wants his people to know that he's in control because he knows that that unseen reality will make them Fearless. Without Jesus, the average person uh, tries to find security in trying to control everything and everybody in his or her life, but it does not work. Hyper control does not reduce worry, it actually increases worry and stress. But if I know Jesus, I can find fearlessness through my faith that Jesus is in control of the circumstances of me and my family and my job and my health and everything else so that I can be. Fearless because of that unseen truth of his control, which leads to the next unseen reality, which is Jesus' fear-conquering promise that for his people, there is no meaningless suffering. Did you notice how Jesus tells the believers that uh, their imprisonment will be a a test from the evil forces? Uh, This would be very good news to the followers of Jesus because they would immediately recognize the implication that their hardships and their troubles and their trials were not meaningless. They would actually hold their heads up high, knowing that their suffering had cosmic meaning, just like Job, and Job uh, who proved Satan wrong. You know, Satan said to God, uh, God, uh, if you just take away Job's comfort and his goodies, uh, he will curse you to his face. But Job passed the test. And these believers would move fearlessly into the shackles of prison, knowing that the eyes of an unseen multitude were upon them and applauding their faithfulness. If I follow Jesus, he holds out this affirming promise that for his people, there is no such thing as meaningless suffering. And if I hold on to this promise, I can move out in a fearlessness that I've been looking for all my life. Finally, the last unseen reality uh, that's in this letter is Jesus' fear-conquering promise that eternal rewards far outshine whatever sacrifice I make for Jesus today here on earth. Jesus says to the believers, if... You remain faithful. I will give you the victor's crown of life. And the Greek word for victor's crown uh, paints a word picture uh, that would have been uh, very uh, significant to those who received this letter and loved their region's version of the Olympic Games, where athletes would make sacrifices and then eventually would stand up on a platform as winners and receive a laurel wreath a victor's crown. And Jesus says that every person who makes sacrifices to their comfort to run for him, that they will be declared a winner and will receive from Jesus himself a crown of victory. And you may say, I want that crown. And Jesus says, good. All you need to do is give up your boring, fear-based life and be willing to even take some risks for me, make some sacrifices for me, and start living for these rewards that are unseen. And believe me, when you see them, you'll agree that they are so infinitely worth it. And that's what Najati did. He knew that it might cost him everything to be Jesus to his neighbors, but he was convinced that his sacrifice was worth it, and that made him fearless. And you can find this fearlessness too if you hold on to these unseen realities. And I'm not proud of this, but uh, I had a little conversation with Jesus in which, I t- in which I told him that I was concerned that some people here would, uh, would scoff at this idea. Scoff at this idea that finding fearlessness is possible by holding on to unseen realities. I told Jesus that for some here, it would just seem childish. Uh, I said, Jesus, the idea that they could be fearless by holding on to unseen realities of your resurrection or your presence or your promises of control or eternal rewards, they're, these are sophisticated people, and they're just going to roll their eyes, and they're going to say, that's just pie in the sky. They'll say, in this complicated world, focusing on Jesus And the unseen of Jesus is not enough. Jesus is not enough. I'm not proud of it, but that's what I said to Jesus. And you know what? He said to ask you two questions. And the first question from Jesus is this. How's the alternative working for you? How is your sophisticated focus on what you can see, how's that working for you? Is your materialistic approach bringing you peace? Confidence? Or are you getting more overwhelmed and more stressed and more worried and afraid each passing day? Then here's another question. This is Jesus' second question for you. And that is, have you ever, ever, ever really tried my unsophisticated and childlike way of finding peace in life? Have you ever, ever trusted me enough to make me enough in your life? Would you try it even for one week and just see if it's not the way to a life of fearlessness? Because Jesus is convinced that the fearless life you are looking for is found just beyond what you can see.